Howdy, online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Todd McQueen as he continues our latest sermon series, The Co-Mission, God's Work Through Moses and Joshua. We have prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the internet. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. Last week we learned that God's work has been taking place long before we came on the scene and will continue long after our physical lives are over. Pastor Todd challenged us to be intentional about who we were handing the baton to and the work we are putting in to get them ready. This week's lesson takes that one step further. Today you'll be hearing a buzzword in church culture, trial. A trial is something that seems to impede the work God is doing through his people. Look for Pastor Todd to talk about the trials that the Israelites were going through and how the leadership guided them at those times. Trials can be daunting, especially if we try to take them head on by ourselves. God designed this Christian life to be filled with people. When we work together, the trial not only seems less daunting, but the relationships of those involved grow together. God uses these trials to help in the sanctification process. Going it alone fights against the design God has for the church. Let's listen in together as we learn from Exodus 17. Through the trials, we are a commission team. Well, good morning, church. If you wish, you can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. And we've been working through a series called Co-Mission, which we follow God's mission together. We are co-missioned with each other for God's mission. And we're working toward God's goal. And last week we began the series talking about the relationship between Moses and Joshua. And that the mission was bigger than each. And the mission had started with Abraham and went clear through to Joshua, which is a lots and lots of people, lots of time. And this morning, we're going to continue on this idea. And where we start with the setting this morning, we know that uh, Moses has gone, he's been called by God, and when the people ask him, how are they going to believe you, believe me when I say I've come from you? And part of one of the things is God says, here's this really cool staff. And through this staff, I'll be able to evidence myself to the people through you, Moses. So the staff is used as God battles each one of the Egyptian gods. It's a really cool study. I challenge you someday that every time God inflicts, quote unquote, a plague upon the Egyptians, it's directed toward a specific Egyptian deity in which the people worshipped. God is not only rescuing his people, but he is playing WWE, NFL football. He is playing World Series that bring out your champions. I will defeat each one of them. And as Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they're battling with this, a lot of, a lot of times the staff is used. So we know that toward the end, right, let's fast forward toward the end, that the last judgment that God inflicts upon the Egyptians is what? The death of the firstborn. So what do the Israelites have to do so their firstborns don't die? They had to sprinkle blood on the door. So then the angel of death 
comes in, and what does he it that angel do that night? He passes over. So if they were obedient to God, their firstborn lived because what happened? They applied the blood to the door. Then the angel passed over. So they celebrate literally Passover meal because that is God said, hey, you're going to do this over and over again in remembrance of this night. You just don't know yet. It's going to be a pretty crazy night. So they celebrate Passover. They leave Egypt. And God had promised them that, hey, even though you're a slave people now, when you leave, you're going to plunder them. So here's a slaves, part of a military juggernaut, that when they leave, they also go like, here's the keys to a car. Get out. So they plunder the Egyptians because the Egyptians are like, please go, please go, please go, please go. And they hand them their wallet. They hand them their debit card. They hand them all of their lots and lots of money. So they get out. And Moses, under God's direction, takes them out. Now, if we're headed north to Atlanta, what road are we going to take to get to Atlanta? 75, well, most of us who, not those who fly, most of, I should have specified that. Terry, you're the truck driver. I'm not talking to the pilot. This illustration doesn't work. So you're going to Atlanta. What road are you going to take? You're going to take I-75 north. So God says, hey, Terry, I want you to go out of Ocala, but I need you to back your rig into a ditch in the Ocala National Forest. And I need the rear of your trailer in 15 foot of muck. And you would say, right, and so here come the authorities. You're skipping town with a truckload of the plundered stuff from everybody that's said, hey, please, Terry, get out of town, take it. God does that with Moses. Because as God, Moses comes out, where, is, where does Moses lead the people? Before there, but where? To the sea. Their backs are against the sea. So, God tells Moses this, and God has something to say. He's like, like clicker, Pastor Michael. All through with the plagues, with the, what God has done, he says over and over again, I will do this so that you all, the Egyptians, so the Israelites will know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord, and I will get the glory. So that you will know. The Exodus extraction is replete with God saying this over and over again. I will get the glory, and that you will know for sure that I am the Lord. With everything that happened, who gets the glory of extracting a bunch of slave people out of Israel, out of Egypt? God does. So God's got their backs against the proverbial wall, a sea. So God's going to play the same card again. When you ask why, God's answer is what? So I can get the glory. And that, in the same time, you will know that I am the Lord. So here is Moses. My clicker is not working, Pastor. 
So they're backed up against the sea. Now this, this slight detail is not missed by the people. This is a verse that is replete with sarcasm. The Israelites say to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've brought us out here, nanner, nanner? You mean you tell us that you've brought us out here to die? There's plenty of graves back there. And what is Moses' response? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be what? Be quiet. How many of us have a hard time understanding that God's working in our lives for His glory to evidence through us and the world that we will know that He is the Lord, but we want to talk about our problem a lot with Him? Right? Moses tells him, be quiet. It's like your kids in the back seat, huh? But Exodus 14, 15 says, God says, Moses, why do you cry to me? I love this part of the scripture because Moses is leading the people. He's doing what God has asked them to do. Their backs against the proverbial wall. And Moses cries out to whom? As the leader. To God. I want you to pay attention through our text today. Moses cries out to God a lot. The people cry out to who a lot? We'll fill in that gap. So God, so somewhere, there's a, something's not written in your Bible, but it's got to be there. And what happened, because God says to Moses, why do you cry to me? You've got the staff, remember? Just stick your staff out and cross. Here's the man who has wielded this powerful staff, God's evidence to the people, to Moses, that I'm with you. I am present, and I will get glory. Stick your staff out, Moses. Put it over the water. And what happened? You know this part of the story. What happened? He sticks his staff out. Boom! Cross. Listen to these words from Exodus 14, 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and in whom? Moses. God rescues Israel for multiple reasons. First off, Egyptians, you know that I'm the Lord yet. I just wiped out your, a large section of your military force. Israel saw what? Dead bodies. So that the people then feared whom? Feared God. And they believed who? And then who? Moses. God is working through this team to evidence himself to the people by using a team. Then they get out of, they cross the Red Sea. 
Then they sing a song that we have sung this morning. It's called the Song of Moses. Chapter 15 is chock full of verses. If you flip your Bible to to chapter 15, that's the Song of Moses. And we have sung this morning part of that. So they sing, they get across the Red Sea. They have this world's, their biggest worship gathering. Let us celebrate what God has done. Then they move on from there and they find water, but the water is bad. So God through Moses cleans the water. Then they need food. You need water and food when you're out in the wilderness. So God provides breakfast and dinner. What is the breakfast? Huh? Manna? And what's dinner? Come on now. You guys have heard this story a hundred times. I'm going to pause long enough until you're tracking with me. If you want to check out, go ahead and check out. Because here's the hard part of preaching through this story. I've heard it a hundred times. But I need you to see, give words to what God is doing, what He has evidenced to the people and through Moses. So God provides breakfast and dinner with manna and quail. So get this. Thus far, He's crossed the Red Sea for them. He's defeated the Egyptians. There's been a huge praise ceremony. The bitter water has been cured, and he's provided food. There's a lot that's going on in just a few short chapters. So Exodus 17, where Pastor Michael read this morning, they're like, God, are you here or not? Are you here or not? So the traveling continues, and they come into an area where there is no water, and what, how do the people react to this? They are mad. Now, the language used in your, chat, in your text is as they're bringing up charges against Moses. Okay, it's like a coup happening. Not only are they upset and frustrated, but they're like, hey, uh, we're from America and we got voting rights and there's got to be recall or an impeachment coming. If it was Americans doing this, So the recently redeemed, rescued slaves now want to do what with their leader? We want a new one. Who are we going to get? And they start bringing up these charges. So Moses responds, and listen to this. He asked them, why are you bringing these charges against me? So who are they blaming for this problem? Moses. Moses responds, why are you blaming me when all along, why are you putting God on trial? Now let's just stop for a second and give him a break. As anybody in the, oh my goodness, we've worked hard in this last week as a church family. I think I sweat 35 buckets of water. Right, Robbie and Michael? Todd, you did. Your shirt was wet. But at the end of the day, if we had not had water, There might have been, yeah, come over and help everybody move, but we're not giving you anything to drink. I'll kill you. (laughs) People have been upset, right? So is is this reasonable for them? What am I doing? So is it reasonable for them to be upset about not having water? But where are they taking their grievance? To Moses. Okay, church family, just pause for a second. 
things aren't going well at Grace Church of Ocala, who's the first person you send an email to? Yeah, them dumb dummies, they don't know what they're doing. Why would you do that? That is the dumbest idea. Now, rarely do we hear it up front. Because what do the it, Moses responds to them and say, hey, don't bring charges against me. You're actually putting God on trial. So like, okay, so what do they do? It's even more nefarious. So they sent the email, we want a new president, we want a new pastor. This one's doing some dumb stuff. He's leading us in a bad area that we're not seeing any results and it's highly uncomfortable. Then what do they do? Hey, Bernie, let's go to lunch and let's have a complaint fest about the church leadership and just keep it between us. Okay. All right? Then when you guys get done, I need you to call Joan. <laughs> Joan. Now, you have all these connections with the older people and they're retired, right? So you guys have all the time in the world. You guys don't do email. Just call a bunch of people and keep it on the lay low. Now, you guys are just brand new visitors here, and so when you get here and people ask you how things are going, just say, they'll tell you it's great. What are people doing? Huh? They're grumbling amongst themselves. I know of parents who spank their kids for this stuff because they give spankings for attitudes. You may not have done it, but I will spank you for the attitude. Okay, this is even more insidious. All right, Terry, you've employed a lot of people, right? At one time in your job, you owned a company. How many drivers did you have? 35. My hat's off to you. Now, if you ever have a driver come up to you and say, man, I got a problem? A lot. Every day. Now, which is easier to deal with? The little coup, the little murmurers, the little, uh, they went to dinner or went out and had a few beers, whatever they do, truck drivers do, and start complaining about that dumb Terry boss. How many times did you deal with that? Many. As a supervisor, you've, Todd, you've supervised a bunch of people. Sarah, you supervise people. Right? Jesse, as you're supervising the kids, you would rather than look at you in the face and say, Mom, you're dumb, as opposed to getting this little coup, and we're not going to do it, actually. We're going to get in the back of the van and just work real hard against her all day long. Right? We've been there. But this is a whole group of people that have come to Moses with their complaint, and they've been sarcastic. Now they want to bring him against charges against him to bring him to trial. And they're murmuring. They're under their breath, snide remarks. What do you think Moses says? Now the people bring their complaints to whom? Moses. Moses brings his complaint to whom? God. And I love this part. What do you want me to do with these people? You can just imagine leading these people in his whole, everything they've been through together. He's 80 years old. Don't have time for this stupidness. How many of us older people can relate to that? Right? Devon, your hand went like, pow! Yeah, it did. Okay, so he takes it to God, and he, you can just feel the angst. What shall I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. 
Who's watching? God? Who else is watching? Huh? The people? Come on. Who else? Huh? The elders? And Joshua. The hard part about handing the baton off is when you have to be honest about what you're handing off. It's a lot easier to get somebody to do a terrible job if they don't have any idea about the job. They're ready to stone me, God, Moses says. So God responds. God says this, hey, I want you to get all the leaders together. And in front of everybody, Moses, get all the leaders. Take that very same staff, the same staff, the one that you, when you struck the Nile, it turned to blood. I want you to take the leaders and the staff and go. Let's stop there. You're in the desert. You're hungry. You're not hungry, but you need water. What's the last thing you want to do? Break camp again. I need you to lead, Moses. I need you to get the leaders and tell them to lead. Lead during this time. God's going to, God's going to answer the question, but what does He ask Him first to do? Just stop doing what you're doing. Stop leading. Stop being the president of your company. Stop being the leader in the home. I'll fix this. Does God answer Moses like that? No. Come on now. Come on. Lead. Get the rest of the team together. Now imagine that meeting. The people are grumbling. They want to stone Moses. They want an impeachment. They want a re-election. God answers the question with get the leaders together. Get them all together. Stand up. Get up here on the stage. You got a problem? Yeah, we got a problem. God said, let's move. Keep the wheels on the wagon turning. I'll direct it, but keep moving. When there is conflict in the local church, most people, including the leadership, want to pump the brakes, bring it to an ABS-like stop, and say, God, answer the question. No. Keep moving forward with the mission. Take the leaders. Get that staff. And God says some really interesting words here. When you go, I will stand there with you. Moses, the leaders, go, and then I will meet you there, and I will be standing there. Then strike the rock, and water will come out. How much water came out? Is it a fire hydrant? Has anybody here worked in construction? What's the size of the pipe that feeds Ocala? One inch diameter, Robbie. If you're going to guess, because we, we have any plumbers? Anybody plumbers here? Anybody seen construction of the pipe, water pipelines when they put in a new housing addition? Have you seen those blue pipes along the road? Yeah, we're talking about moving a nation. We're not talking about we're okay. Unleash Silver Springs to give that much water. But look at God's response. Follow me, leaders, lead, people, follow. Keep going. I am not stopping this process because they want to kill you. I recognize that, but I will get the glory, and you shall know what? I am the Lord. 
So, move with me to chapter 17, verse 8. It's on page 48. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Stop there. People were asking before when there was no water, God, are you really here? God answers that question with external conflict now. And he mentions Joshua. This is the first time we're going to hear the word Joshua, the name Joshua. Here. Anybody know who that picture is up there? General Mad Dog Mathis. Who is leading Israel's military forces? Joshua is. So God has opened the sea. God has defeated the Egyptians. There's been a praise service. He's cleansed the waters, provided breakfast and dinner, and He's provided water for an entire nation. And now the enemy attacks. Now, how many of you this morning, you read the word Amalek, and you're like, I know who that is. Is that nobody? Good. I didn't either. I had to research this. Anybody heard of Jacob and Esau? Who, which one did God like? Who was one? Who was the trickster, but God chose him? Jacob. And then what about Esau? What's God's relationship with Esau? Not so much. Guess who's related to Esau? Amalek. Okay? This is an old family feud. This is, you've got to be kidding me. We just made it through all this, God, and we're going to bring up this from the past, and they're going to attack us? Or from the other side, hey, them idiots just got out of Egypt. We know how to kill them once for all. Let's go get them. So from the fertile soil of this conflict between Jacob and Esau comes a descendant. And the first time we see Joshua is to meet this military general who will be leading Israel in their first battle. Imagine the stress of that. How easy has the prep time been for the general? Has he had a whole lot of time to do military training for these idiots? Come on, Todd, work with me here. Right? None! I don't even know if they know how to march. You can't even, all they know is barely walk across the sea and then complain about it. They know how to throw stones? Yeah, maybe that's it. So they're not highly trained. Are they respectful of authority? 
How, how, how many weeks does it take to beat that out of you in boot camp? How many days? Two. <laughs> okay, Josh, you're the good, you're the g- general of the army. Go get him. Now, let's just stop, pause for a second, and think what Joshua must have been thinking. What would you think, Rob? You're in charge of this army. Go fight the, it, your great cousins who never have liked you. Really? Yes, exactly. Really? Okay, so Moses is still leading. He's got a plan. And he shares it with Joshua. Pastor Michael will know this answer, but I want you to think about it. If you're leading somebody and you give them the plan, what do you have to give them with that plan? If you give them authority, you're giving them also what? Huh? Power or? Yes! Who said that? Yes! When you're leading, Robbie, and you're dealing with numbskulls who are going to do something for the first time, if you're going to say, go take care of this, what do you have to give them? Responsibility. Okay, here's the thing that drives me nuts. It's hard for a leader. Joan, you're in charge of leading the army, but as soon as you start, I'm going to hire him. He's done it before. You just be good. I need you to just be on the podium and say we did a good job. But you're all, you're, I'm going to come to you with all my complaints, but I'm not going to give you the authority to do it. Okay, when you're leading and you do a segment of ministry in the church and the pastors say, I need you to take care of this, what do they have to give you and what do you have to accept? With responsibility comes authority and vice versa. With authority comes responsibility. How many of us love a ton of authority without no responsibility? You're right, Terry. It's called being married. Um, no, <laughs> Okay. So he says here, he gives them authority with responsibility. What was he responsible to do? Get them together. Go into battle. Get them organized. Go do it. Now, what does Moses do? What's Moses do? I'm going to go to the top of the hill and watch it. Good job, Josh. How many of us think that? You've asked us to do children's ministry. You've asked us to do a Labor Day event. You've asked us to do a smoker at our place, and you're just going to watch? No, 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 no. There's America. We're, we're part of a union somehow. And if you're a good leader, you're going to be down there in the trenches with us. Now, who's in the trenches with you? The next leader. Now, I'm not saying this has to apply on every occasion, but can you imagine the murmuring Israelites with their first time with this guy that's been appointed general that sees Aaron her and Moses go to the top of the hill. What do you think they may have been thinking? Huh? He's either going to go up there too, or they're going to have a good view of us dying today. What, they didn't have no graves in Egypt? By the way, who's her? Close. Okay. 
one of the, when the spies go into Egypt, you have two quality men that actually do the job and come back and say, God, we can do this. And you try to convince them to do that. One is Joshua, and who's the other one? Caleb. Guess who Caleb's son is? Her. So Josh is down there getting ready to go to battle. He knows Caleb. Cool dude. Them dude must have tattoos that match each other. And when he looks up there, Caleb has handed something off that's not in your text to her. Isn't that awesome? This is where I want to say, God, could you've added another chapter to tell the backstory of how you got her there? He's like, no, I'm just going to tell you he's there. But isn't that cool? Joshua looks up, and there's Aaron, the spiritual leader, there's Moses, the leader, and there's her. So the first time we go into battle. Can Moses do this on his own up there? Because he's got to take this staff. Remember, the staff has been through there. What's he do with the staff? Here, Janet, you ready to participate? Just, just hold that up. Don't let your arms down. Oh, we're defeated. Now all you got to do a leader is just hold God's standard. Just hold it up. Just go and lead the people. Just be there. Be strong. Illustrate my presence to the people. Just hold on. Just keep doing it. Now, you're, as a leader, you're watching things happen. You're watching everybody go through these trenches. You're watching the new guy do something with responsibility, and you're trying to give him, you give him the authority, and you're watching with him doing this with the responsibility. And all you got to do is just hold, keep, keep God's presence there, Janet. Until about 4.30 this afternoon. What does Janet need? Help. Now, thank you, Janet, before you hit Bernie with that thing. Who has, what kind of, describe that job to me. Would it be easier to be Josh just down there giving it, all, just burning up in calories, swinging that sword, lopping some necks? Or being the leaders up on the hill watching the team fight? Because I would guess, I'm just going to throw this out there for you to think. If her is descended from a mighty warrior, where do you think he wanted to be? Yeah, no, you go be with Moses. <laughs> Leadership, families, you've got to let this happen. And those who are following have to look up and say, God's got him where he needs him for the time. Because if Moses got weak, what happened? Amalek started prevailing. So is this all about isometric workouts and about the power of staffs? What's it about? God is working through how many people now in the story by name? Three? We got Aaron on just on this slide. Aaron, Hearn, Moses. Who else is he working through? Joshua. So we got four people named, right? And they're fighting their first major battle after complaining. Everything up to this time did not lead up to this well, and they're doing this battle. They're being co-missioned together for God's mission. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, 
as the leaders up on the hill, as the spiritual leaders in the church, as the spiritual leaders in the family, you let your arms down, you forget God's presence, even when it's going, you're getting tired. What are the catastrophic results of that? Not only that, huh? People die. Who's going to die, too, by name? Joshua. And who's Joshua going to be someday? Later. Pick up with me in verse 14 of chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God's here. God has opened the sea. God has defeated the Egyptians. There's been a praise service. He's cleansed the water, provided breakfast and dinner, provided water for an entire nation, and he garners the victory of an enslaved people in their first military battle. So write a book. When writing was difficult and expensive, Moses writes this battle down as a memorial. Why? Why? Remind Josh. Look at your text. What's the, what's, what's the wording in there? What physical, ad, what physical part of Joshua's body is mentioned? Moses, write this down so you can what? Whisper it in his ear. Recite it in his ear. What do you think he was, what just, we don't know what's written in this book. What do you think's in the book? Why would Joshua, why would Moses need to recite this in his ear over and over again? Huh? God at work? How? Moses, recite this in his ear because you need to remember God is at work. Remember when you were fighting down there in your first battle when you had a bunch of those privates who were morons, couldn't have been in a battle formation whatsoever? Remember her up on top. Remember Moses. Remember how it all happened. Remember God's presence. The next person you're handing the baton off, here's the word of God. Whisper that in their ear. Remember when, because I'm telling you, just this last week, and I had a hard time remembering when God had done something. Your next leader, the next person you're going to hand the baton off, the kids, the neighbor, the whoever you're sharing Jesus with, the guys at work, when they come to know them, because our mission is to make disciples, remember when God did this. Remember when God's presence was there. And especially in the leadership, the next one, remember this battle. And set up a bunch of rocks, set up an altar. Why? So you're going to hear it. So when you're traveling along, Moses is going to say, okay, Josh, it's time to recount the battle of Amalek. What's the deal with this? 
whole bunch of rocks up on top of a hill. Visual reminder. That's hard to come up with. What visual reminder can we do as Grace Church of Ocala to remember that God did on Mother's Day to give us enough to four, four bikes? When God had come through and we had all of these baptisms, what, what reminders do we need to, okay, every time, every t- you, go to Weir, you go to Lake Weir, you're going to hang out, you're going to have a picnic right there, you're going to remember, hey, that's where the baptism was. I stood back there at that corner with Debbie yesterday morning, and I listened to her pray about this physical reminder, about your names. And she remembered looking in here, and it wasn't, oh boy, this is really beautiful, and she always loved the color and the fact the ceiling still had a crack in it, knowing Deb, right? But she prayed for people. There is some kind of physical reminder when you go back somewhere and you put your hands on it and you physically interact with something and say, there it is. So God has won this victory for these Israelites through the leaders. They've worked together on a mission. The wars will continue. Do you notice that in the text? Is everything over with Amalek? Did God fix the problem that day? Are the people going to grumble again? Yeah, they're professional night. Oh, yeah. There were first-round draft picks at that, and so are we. So, as we conclude, I want you to think, what was Moses' experience through our text today? What did Moses learn today? Tell the people to be quiet. Okay? Somebody else interact with me. Think, what did Moses on mission for God and rescuing these people, what was his experience like? Huh? How to be a leader by what? No, no, come on. He needed help. What's that? To give responsibility? Okay, so he he needed help. He was a leader. He had to be able to give responsibility. He couldn't do it by himself. Now, how many of us guys, I'll just talk to the guys for a second. When the going gets tough, you got this. I mean, we do it all the time in the car, except for GPSs. Right? I know I've got Debbie and I in some back places. I got this. How many of us, when life gets tough and we don't need no help, we got this? Right? Moses. Okay. This is going to be a little hard. I got you. Everything that God has done has been beyond the scope of anything humanly imaginable. Okay? Moses. Then, how is the people business? If you want to make disciples who make disciples, what is it like to work with people? According to Mo- what would Moses tell you? Rely on God. Okay, what words did he use? God, what do you want me to do with these people? They're going to what? Stone them. Hey, welcome to leadership in the local church where people are not going to like you. And then if they can't kill you, what will they do that's even worse? Put something on Facebook like, Grace Church of is stupid. 
they don't really love me there. It's happened. Okay, Joshua. What was Joshua's experience? Where was Joshua in the mix? At the very beginning. Where do you think Joshua was? He had to take charge of the situation when it was given to him. But if we back the bus up a little bit, let's say he's still in Egypt. What did he have a choice to do? Follow or not follow? Because if he's like, hey, I got better plans on this side of the Red Sea, we would never have heard about him. You got to follow. You got to be, you're not going to necessarily lead next week. Okay, what else did Joshua learn? What else is some of his experience? What else do you have a choice in? What's that? Not yet. He did when he was given responsibility to fight. He was decision maker at that time. But I want you to think about the people between, where did Joshua have to choose to stand between the people and the leadership? What could he have chosen? Grumbling. He could have joined in the long, strong chorus of complainers. Or what did he have a choice to do? Step back and watch. Step back and watch, or what with the leaders? Support them. Now, where, which one would have been easier? The coffee house club? Or to sit back and watch? What did Moses need? Yeah, but what's Moses need from Josh? The help, the support. Okay, so when you're in leadership and you're in transition, you've got your leader. What does he need next week? He needs your support. When he makes a decision and it doesn't look like it's going well, who's the first person you need to take that complaint to? God, and then to him. And by the way, guess what he just prayed? God, what are you doing? This is what you told me to do, and this isn't working out. We got three emails from not necessarily happy people, or in a great passive American, passive aggression American cultures, we just don't go to church there no more. So Joshua's in this cauldron with them, with Moses, having to make strategic, calculated decisions. And then when he's called upon to fight, literally go fight, go do your job incredibly well. While the victory is dependent upon whom? It wasn't Josh. That's what I want. Yeah, it's, it's God. But it's the rest of the team. God could have cut the Moses. He, God could have cut the Aaron, Moses, her equation out of the story and said, God, Joshua, whenever you're having a hard time, just raise your sword. But what did God in this story said, if I'm going to work for Israel's overall victory, I need at least how many cooperating people? Four. It's a team. And I bet you Joshua's learning this whole team thing. And Moses is learning this, man, I cannot simultaneously be on top of the hill and leading the forces below. Because if we know anything about Moses, he's a good fighter. He's already killed people. And he's a hothead. 
right? Her probably would have chosen to be down there. Aaron may have wanted to be up on the hill, but I'm not sure. No, Aaron was a fighter too. But through our trials, we are commissioned as a team. Your leaders need a team. The next layer of leaders need that team. They need to work together. Because God tells his stories of himself being the only reason that people can give a tribute to the victory. You notice how God has done that over and over again. The only way you're going to win this is if I work, so you can't take the credit. But also, the only way God can work is through what? The only way he chooses to work is through what? People and those teams. So this morning, who are your teammates this next week? Who will be your teammates? Or are you teaming now and then not Monday? Who are you going to call? Who are you going to email? Who are you going to contact? Who are you going to be around? Or are you going to like, I got this all by myself. I listened to this weird sermon last Sunday about everybody being together in a team, being co-missioned for God's mission, even in trials uh, through a team. But I'm not going to do that. But who's, who's it going to be? Then if you say, yes, I want to do this with people, then how are you going to do that? I can't answer this question for you. You need to. If it's on your connection card, I am going to call Ms. Joan, or I'm going to be praying for Ms. Joan. I'm going to pray for these three people, or I'm going to contact them, or I'm going to serve. I'm going to use my spiritual gift. However, think of ways and how you are going to team this next week. And finally, how will you go with that team? Because here's the thing. What's the team goal? Serve God by what? We're getting ready to read it. Making, making disciples. How will you interact this next week with the team? Then remember, it's not all about you and making it feel better because you actually made it through. And I get this. Life has been pretty tough recently. But through this team interaction, how will I go with that team for the mission of making disciples? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.